do you want to know the best and worst thing about me? It's funny, isn't it? How often those are both the same thing. Here's the best and worst thing about me. I hold on to things so tightly. When there's something I want, a hope, a dream, a plan, or expectation of some kind, I will move heaven and earth to make that dream come true. Which sounds great, and sometimes is. But you're all pretty smart, so you've probably already spotted the problem, which is, in my scheming, I often skip right from I want it to how can we make this happen and then plow ahead without a second thought. And if somewhere along the way it turns out that the dream wasn't worth it or wasn't the right dream or the best dream or the only possible dream, well, when that is the case, I have a really, really hard time letting go. Imagine this. You're a parent and you want to get your kid a gift. Not just any gift, but a super cool gift. One they will love and use all the time and will last forever. So you decide you are going to get your kid a bright red dodgeball. I know, who doesn't love a dodgeball, right? They're the best. And you are so proud of your great idea and so pumped to give this kid this awesome gift. So you take them with you to the store. Before you can make it through the store to the beautiful display of dodgeballs, your kid gets distracted by the flimsy dollar store stuff at the front and just has to have that action figure. It's total garbage. It will break in like five seconds, but your kid wants it so badly that even though you, the parent, know that that rack of dodgeballs is just around the corner, your kid won't move. They're throwing a fit. The cashier's looking at you like, you monster, it only costs a dollar, and you can't get your kid to even hear you over their yells, let alone trust you when you tell them that you want to give them something so much better. Several years ago, we did a vignette here at church with that plot line. Vignettes are like these little skits we do sometimes instead of a traditional sermon. Um, And here's what happened when we were getting ready for this vignette. First, you have to know that anytime we do a vignette, I am always all about the costumes, and all about the props. So for this particular vignette, I was scheming. Like, how could we create this scene? And I immediately thought of that big black shelf up in the youth room. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's one of those cube shelves, open face, 16 squares. And I thought, that's perfect. We will put a brightly colored dodgeball in every single square, and it will be a beautiful display case for our vignette. Perfect visual. Now, that bookcase is six feet tall, six feet wide, made of solid wood and filled to the brim with books and games and other youth group supplies. But whatever, I ran downstairs, I grabbed John or Matt or whoever my vignette co-actor was and dragged them up and said, look at it, isn't it just perfect? And John or Matt or whoever it was looked at the shelf, looked at the clock, looked at me, and then said something totally ridiculous, like, couldn't we just set a dodgeball on the altar? It wasn't until after many minutes of moving furniture, measuring doorways, drawing diagrams, and researching elevator weight restrictions that I finally gave in 
and resign myself to proceeding without the shell. But all that weekend, as we did the vignette over and over, all I could think about was, this would have been so much cooler with a giant shelf of dodgeballs behind us. Dreams die so hard, especially when they're great dreams. It's hard to let go. Earlier in Mark's gospel, actually right before this section of miracles and teachings where today's reading comes from, we hear about Herod, the ruler who ordered the execution of John the Baptist, and we hear his reaction to Jesus' ministry. As Jesus starts gathering followers and garnering attention, Herod says to his court, who do people say this man is? And they tell him, some people say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, others say John the Baptist. And Herod said, oh no, John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead and come back to haunt me. Does any of that sound familiar at all? It's a perfect parallel to the conversation in today's reading, right? And if you've been around church a while, you know how the story of John the Baptist ends, with his head on a platter. And you know the story of how Jesus ends. And you know how the story of Jesus ends, with his body on a cross. Both stories lead to death. So of course Peter protests when Jesus says he is headed the exact same way as John the Baptist. Hasn't Peter just said, you are the Messiah? You are the one who will restore the fortunes of Israel, defeat our oppressors, restart the monarchy, reunite the divided kingdoms, restore our former glory. The revolution is at hand. And what does Jesus say to all of that? Get behind me, Satan. Ouch. But even when he isn't that critical, what does Jesus say first earlier in this passage and constantly throughout Mark's gospel? Whenever Jesus has just done something big and miraculous, what does he always say? Shh, don't tell anyone. Why? Why does Jesus tell the disciples not to say anything when they start to realize he is someone with great power? Why does Jesus tell the crowds not to spread the word when he heals them of their illnesses? Why does Jesus tell the demons not to say anything about him when he kicks them out of the people they're afflicting? Why does Jesus tell the parents not to say anything when he brings back to life their 12-year-old daughter? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is more than a miracle. Jesus is more than a miracle worker. Our greatest temptation as followers of Jesus is the same temptation that Jesus himself faced to make himself extraordinary. But the most extraordinary thing about Jesus is that he is not extraordinary at all. When Herod does something big, what does he do? He parades the gruesome evidence around on a plate for all to see. When Jesus does something big, What does he do? He tells everyone to be quiet. Why? It's not false modesty. It's because any retelling that focuses on Jesus and his abilities misses the point. Because as Mark tells it, this story isn't ultimately about Jesus. It is about us. It's like Jesus is trying to say to them, 
you misunderstand what I have done, all these healings. So how can you possibly hope to understand what I'm about to do on the cross? You are thinking so small. Think bigger. You are looking at white what is right in front of you. Think longer. You are thinking of human things. Think divine. You are thinking about what I can do. Think about you. Because the most extraordinary thing about Jesus is not the miracles he makes happen, but that he gives all of us the power to do everything he can and more. Or maybe like shows us that we have had that power all along. And it's not a power that conquers enemies or rules over kingdoms or evades death. It is the power of servant love. Poor Peter. Dreams die so hard, don't they? And this is not the version of salvation he was expecting. Because this is a version of the faith that is bigger than any of our own personal salvation, bigger than the political fortunes of any one country. It is a faith that is about nothing less than the saving, redeeming, and making new of the entire world. And one that draws us in to be part of making that happen. To be honest, not entirely sure that's good news. A savior who swoops in and saves the day would certainly be much more convenient and much less work than one who gives us the messy, unglamorous, and uncomfortable work of doing it ourselves. Who charges us by the power of God working within us to pull ourselves and each other up out of the graves we dig with the dirt still on our fingernails. To stand shoulder to shoulder with people with whom we have absolutely nothing in common except a genuine desire for the other's well-being. To not flee death or skirt around death, but take each other by the hand and walk boldly forward together. Trusting that with our God, this is not the end, but just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. That is our call. That is where life is found. In that work is our salvation. Ah, oh, Jesus. It would have been so much easier if you had just been a miracle worker. If you had just forgotten about the dodgeballs and bought us the darn action figure. Friends, this is ultimately what saves us. Not to see the miracle, but to be the miracle. So, may we have the courage to dream big dreams. And the even greater courage to know when it is time to let them go. May we trust that in our end is our beginning. And that there is more to life than we can see right now. May we come to realize that Jesus is more than a miracle worker and that the greatest miracle of all is us. May we see it in others and be it ourselves. Amen.